Hi everyone, Jason here. I'm excited to bring you our new series called Healing From Here. With all the deep social unrest that we're experiencing right now, there are so many questions we face as a community. Where does wellness go from here? How can we create real, meaningful, long-lasting change that ultimately builds a more inclusive community? How can we, as individuals, make our own contributions? How can we collectively heal? In this series, we'll be talking to minority leaders in the wellness world as we look to answer these very questions. We are all in this together. You, we, all. Maya Feller is a registered dietitian who specializes in nutrition for chronic disease prevention. She received her Master's of Science in Nutrition at NYU, and she completed her clinical nutrition training at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. Maya is one of the leading Black voices in wellness, and it's an honor to have her back on the podcast today. Maya, welcome. It's so good to have you back. It's so good to see you. It's so wonderful to see you also. Thanks for having me, Jason. So I'm going to start with a really powerful image you shared on Instagram recently of your bare black feet in the beautiful green grass where you said the following, I'm putting in double, triple, quadruple duty to stay grounded right now. This moment is an extension of a movement that has been going on for decades. It comes with a mix of emotions and unearthing of ancestral trauma in an earth-shattering way. I'm here continuing to write, continuing to teach, continuing to see patients, continuing to mother my children, and continuing to live as a Black woman. Existing. Period. So powerful. So can you unpack that for us? Yeah. So, you know, when I woke up and wrote that, I was really thinking about my experience that I've had as a Black woman of Afro-Caribbean descent growing up in the U.S. And my experience has been one where I have learned to expect kind of scrutiny. I've learned to expect that I would be discounted. Um, I've learned to always be mildly disappointed in certain interactions and also expect that the majority of people don't look at the world from the same lens that I do and to truly expect racism and microaggressions. And, you know, with this racial awakening that's happening within the U.S. and globally, it is a kind of seismic shift that I feel quite personally. It is a moment of extreme hope, right, and hope that systems will change and that people will really engage in anti-racist, anti-bias work. But then at the same time, I'm acutely aware that there's so many moments that I lived in a skin that made me fearful to be who I was. And so it's this coming together of all of that that I was just so aware of in that moment. And so you mentioned uh, your your upbringing very briefly. Your your upbringing, I would say, was extraordinarily unique. So, <laughs> can, can can you talk about your your upbringing? 
Absolutely. Um, Your nuclear I, family, if you will. My, yes, absolutely. Sometimes I joke, you know, um, and say, you know, if you were a black person born in the 70s, for sure, number one, you have an African name. So like there are a whole bunch of us. My biological, my, my legal name is Maya Muna. Um, so that starts the entire conversation off. Um, and then, you know, when I moved to my parents, I was actually raised in a mixed race lesbian family. And my biological mom is of Afro-Caribbean descent. <clears throat> and I was raised by her and a white woman um, for all of my formative years. This, I mean, I, I grew up in Cambridge, Massachusetts at the time when, you know, it was pretty radical, you know, um, like quite radical. Um, and I had other friends also who had lesbian moms and I had other friends, you know, who had very progressive parents. And so I was aware that my nuclear family was different. Um, it really wasn't until I moved to New York that I became so aware that the nuclear family was different because I was introduced to so many more children who had a mom and a dad who were from the same, you know, racial or ethnic background. And that was a shock for me. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, so I really grew up in this very radical home where you know, radical feminist women were organizing conference and, you know, uh, Audre Lorde was coming to the table with Dr. Gloria Joseph. And, you know, that was just kind of how I was raised. So when I look at the world, it's from this really radical lens. What have, what have those conversations been like recently with your with your two with your moms? Yeah, so um, that's such a <laughs> that's such a great question. Um, so with my biological mom, you know, she has done a lot of research, um, and she was in academia in gender and women's studies, um, the chair at various departments, and so we have really talked about kind of you know the fact that academia hasn't really come out with a response um, to this racial awakening and kind of looking at the system of higher education within the US, that's like really a lot of where our conversations have been. Um, also, we've had some pretty intense conversations about stolen art from Africa. <laughs> yeah, wow. um, kind of looking at this, you know, colonialism, and how no one really ever refers to art from Africa as stolen, but there's no other way that museums would have access to it. Um, so we've had, I mean, we've gone way back, um, kind of everywhere. I mean, there's a lot of hope and sadness and joy. Um, and then with my co-mom, my other mom, who uh, was a principal for many years, um, also in education at a public school, uh, we've had a lot of discussions about the realities of COVID-19 in um, low-income Black, Brown, and Indigenous communities and what that looks like for children who are homeless or unstably housed. And that was a lot of the population that she was involved in educating. So our conversations haven't been super light. <laughs> um, they've really been kind of examining these systems that 
we all grew up with and me specifically and that they worked diligently to try to shift um, and just kind of being really aware that there is a change that's happening, but that it's going to need to happen on so many levels. Well, you mentioned COVID. I, I saw a piece of data today that I think was 64% of COVID cases are non-whites. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, Jason, like when you think about this concept of social determinants of health, right? Like where someone lives, the grocery stores that they have access to, is it safe to go to the playground? Is the neighborhood effectively policed in a way that doesn't create fear? You know, what are the statistics for morbidity and mortality? And then it all points back. You just put the data on top of those social determinants and you see that black, brown, and indigenous people across the board are disproportionately affected. Well, we, we, we've mentioned, I think we mentioned this on uh, a, a previous podcast we did, but Ron Finley, the gorilla gardener had, yes. from South Central LA, has that, that famous quote that drive-throughs kill more people than drive-bys. And, yeah. and then he followed up, if I want an organic tomato, I got to drive 45 minutes. Uh, you know, hence, he's the gorilla gardener and he's teaching you how to garden in, in your yard. But that, that's, that's a problem. It's a huge problem. And so what can the the wellness world do better? How do we, you know, you, you mentioned your quote, I love it, you say the moment is an extension of a movement. And I, and I believe that, mo- you know, moment to movement, and I'll add shift, shift being permanent. Movement, yeah. we're in flux, we're moving, now shift. Yeah. We've, we've The tectonic plates have moved. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. how, what, what, can we, what can we do better? So I think that it has to be, from my perspective, I look at it from, you know, the systemic and structural change, and then I look at it from what individuals can do. I would say in both areas, both the systems and structures, as well as the individuals, number one, to not fear the black body, right? Um, Wellness has been historically white. Wellness has been historically tilted toward a white ideal, which is tall, lean, and thin, and not everybody fits into that. So I think opening the lens, both structurally and individually, to really not fear the Black body and to embrace it as beautiful, right? Um, So I think that's number one. I think from an individual level, for people who are in wellness, right? And who kind of frequent yoga studios or go to get acupuncture or healing work done or Reiki to seek out spaces that are inclusive, meaning that there are all sorts of people in those spaces, that you have black, brown, indigenous people, you have differently able-bodied people, you have fat bodies, you have skinny bodies, right? You have people who identify as gay, lesbian, trans, um, non-binary, to really seek out spaces that are inclusive. Now, I, I recognize that that can be a huge ask, right? I feel really comfortable in those spaces. And for many people, it's like, oh, that's a lot to do. So maybe it's going to be, all right, start with reading books, consuming art that is created by people other than ones that look like yourself, right? So that you can hear the stories of those people, that you can 
take them in and honor them just as truths, the same way that we honor data as truth, like someone's lived experience and somebody's story is just as valid. And I think that's something that we can absolutely do in the world of wellness. And so with so much anger out there and so much sadness, and those are, those are real emotions that are valid and part of the process, uh, there needs to be healing. Yeah, because uh, you just can't run on anger and sadness for yep. for an extended period of time forever, and it's it's a process. But mm-hmm. how how you know we're in the we're in the world of healing here. We're we're, yeah. we're healers. That's what Mind Buddy Green's all about. That's what you're about. So how how do we heal from here? I think that that is a fantastic question, and that it's going to look different for each person. I do think part of the healing process needs to be moments of self-reflection coupled with learning of new modalities, right? As well as creating space for breath. Because just as you said, we can't run on anger, we can't run on fumes. So if you're not full in whatever way that looks like for you and everyone's spiritual practice and healing practice is different. But if your tank is empty, you're no good to yourself and you definitely cannot be an ally to your neighbor. So I think self-reflection, creating space and time to learn and unlearn, and then really deep deepening that spiritual practice in a calm way. So what's your go-to when you're having one of those, one of those moments, one of those days where, you know, it's just, you're struggling. So lately, um, well, so full disclosure before this, I actually used to seek sanctuary in a very radical, uh, church in Brooklyn. And it uh, was a stop on the underground railroad and outside of the church, there has always been a sign that says black lives matter. And then there's a pride flag. So, you know, it was definitely calling my name. Um, and I would seek, sanctuary and refuge in that space. And it was a space where I could, via the reverend, who I refer to as a radical peace warrior, you know, engage in that deep reflective thought with music and community. And interestingly enough, some of my closest friends in that community are older uh, Black people who I still call every single week to check on. And they give me like one of my friends, she turned 84 (laughs) recently, you know? And so that was a place of refuge for me um, pre-COVID. And now I really try to find stillness by spending time in the grass, grounding myself, literally taking my shoes off and actually being in the dirt, planting, gardening, like very, very simple. I love that radical peace warrior. Yeah, <laughs> I, we, pretty we, incredible. It is. I love it. I we need more radical peace warriors. Yeah, and so there are so many people out there who, you know, want to help, want to make a difference, but don't know where to start. Uh, Hill Harper, we had on, and and his advice was, you know, what. what what speaks to you? Where does what makes your heart sing? Yeah. Um, and he also added, and you can't do whatever you do. You can't do. You can't not do anything. Like inaction is just yeah. unacceptable. And I agree. Right. Yeah. Uh, 
but it, it, it comes, you know, we're all individuals and inspiration uh, comes in various forms, but it's got to come. Yeah. What's, what's your advice for people listening who, you know, want to fall into that bucket? They're not quite sure where to start. Start small. Look at your direct sphere and circle. Have you had the conversations with the people in your family, with your neighbors, right? Think really small. How can you affect, you know, your teams that you work with? You can go on that, you know, little micro level. Um, You don't have to go big. And that's really how we start to affect and see change. If you have a skill, right? There's plenty of people who would be incredible tutors. Offer to tutor someone online. You know, it doesn't have to be extraordinary, right? The creating this uh, or maintaining the struggle over time needs people at every single level and sector. And I have to absolutely agree. It's just taking action where you're the most comfortable and where your skill is valuable. For some people, that's getting out there and protesting. For others, that's making a donation. For someone else, it may be having that difficult conversation with a family member or friend. And uh, everyone's got their own process, and it's a process. And I always say, try try to be kind. Oh, that I that gives me a like a a deep breath and a yes, one hundred percent. Yeah. And so, you know, it's June 2020. The world is changing very fast, I think in a good way. You know, I'm I'm a hope guy. I'm an optimist. I I wake up every day hopeful and then I check Twitter and then, you know, I I, (laughs) (laughs) then that maybe changes or Instagram. I think I think all all social media platforms will fall to that. But, you know, I I am an optimist. I am a hope guy. and, And we mentioned earlier, you know, moment, movement, shift. Yeah. What is your hope you know how, how do we come out of this uh, where, do, where do you want us to be uh, as a wellness community as a society uh, what, what what is what is what is your hope my deep hope in wellness you know where I spend the majority of my time and also for society is that when those of us who are the most marginalized walk into spaces that we see representations of ourselves at different levels. So from the person that opens the door to the person that's, you know, involved in hiring to the person that's involved in creating the structure, that it is truly representative of all communities. Now that's a big hope. And I recognize that that is like a major ideal, but you know, if I could dream big, I would want that. And I would also want for, people that experience trauma over time because of being marginalized, that they don't have to feel that pain. Amen to that. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, right. (laughs) You know, listen, I'm all about hope. I love it. I do. (laughs) Well, so are we. And Maya, thank you so much for all that you do. And thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you. The feeling is mutual. We love you. Thank you. And for everyone listening, you heard it. Got to take action. Whatever it is, one step at a time. No action is too small, but got to do something. 
Amen to that. <laughs> 